you would please open your Bibles to the book of James. We are in chapter 5. We are in the last verses of James, chapter 5. Beginning in verse 13, this is God's word. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. When should we pray? Well, if you're in trouble, pray. What if you're not in trouble? Oh, so like your situation is happy? Yeah. Well, then you should sing songs of praise. To whom? To the Lord. When you sing songs of praise, what are you doing? You're praying musically. Now, you can also pray when you're sad with songs of praise to the Lord and with songs of lament and crying out to him using the words of the Psalms. I recently had on my radio broadcast uh, a dear friend who is a, a brilliant psychiatrist and a childhood buddy of mine. And um, he was talking about how praying through the Psalms, which is the songbook in the Bible, it is God-inspired songs that give us words to say back to him. Praying through the Psalms builds resilience in people who have been through trauma. And he said, you don't want to wait until you go through trauma to start building resilience. You want to do it now. You want to be prepared. If you, are, if you have cultivated resilience before trauma hits your life, you will be in a much better position to come out of that trauma, not only as a survivor, but as somebody who gets stronger through trials. So use the scriptures, the songbook, use the Bible as God's gift to you to teach you how to express what's in your heart. Because the Psalms cover everything. So, if you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, 
sing songs of praise to the Lord. Is any one of you sick? If, if, if I were to give you a form and say, rate your health, the typical response that people give is pretty good. I, I'm in pretty good health. But if I were to say, is there anything about your physical condition at the moment that you would really like to see improved? Everybody has something. I mean, everybody who's not a complete narcissistic idiot. Um, I'm, you know, if, if you think, no, I am absolutely perfect, there is nothing about me that could be improved. Well, okay, I'm sorry. You need more help than you realize. But basically, we, we get along with what's going on in our lives, okay? We feel like, basically, we're, we're okay. You know, yeah, I've got this problem, but that's, you know, I've, I've learned to live with that. What if you really get sick? I mean, it goes from being what you're used to to, oh, no, I've got a problem. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there on more than one occasion. I've had multiple surgeries, and none of them were to make me look better. Okay? And um, what are you supposed to do? Well, apparently Pastor Wood thinks you're supposed to go to the doctor and have surgery. Well, sometimes that's appropriate. But you know what else is appropriate? Pastor Wood has done this too. Call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What does it mean to do it in the name of the Lord? Well, it means be sure and say in Jesus' name. No, that's not what it means. To do something in the name of the Lord means to carry out his instruction. The reason I am doing this is because he told me to. The reason I'm doing this is under his authority. I'm submitting myself to him, doing what he says. The reason why you do this is because God says so. There are, there's at least one fairly large denomination of people who will tell you that if you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, if that's what they said, then your baptism isn't valid. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay, that, that's what they say. And when they baptize people, they say, in the name of Jesus, bring them up out of the water. Okay, and that, that makes everything good in their minds. You know the problem with that? And there are other people who would say, no, no, no. If they said in the name of Jesus, that, it's, that's not okay. You have to say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or else it's not valid baptism. Neither of those groups understands what the words mean. If I asked Mr. J to please take my car key and my, my uh, credit card and go down to the Exxon station and fill up my vehicle with gas, um, he could go and do that because I authorized it. I said, please do this for me. This is what I want you to do. If he said, JC, <laughs> I've got pastor's car and credit card. You know, I mean, we love the kids, but let's say we take them all on a Vegas vacation. 
okay? Um, let's, let's, just, let's just go have some fun, okay? He would be taking my name in vain, which the Bible says God does not hold us guiltless if we take his name in vain. If we pretend that we've been authorized to do something or say something that is not what God says, that's taking his name in vain. It's not just saying his name carelessly. It's using his name, invoking his name, as so many religious people have done down through the centuries, in a way that God has not authorized. Whether it's to condemn something that's not sin, or whether it's to approve something that is sin. Both cases, the devil is at work, and people are taking the Lord's name in vain. So the reason when it says, in the name of the Lord, it means you do this because he says so. And that's what makes it worthwhile. Otherwise, it's just oil and hands. But if it's obedience, then miracles happen. He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Is this a guarantee that anybody who's sick can just follow these steps and everybody gets healed. If this were the only passage of Scripture that deals with this subject, then I'd, I'd say yes, apparently that's what it means. But this is not the only passage of Scripture that deals with this subject. And when you put all those Scriptures together, you find that when we pray for someone in obedience to the Lord, we should expect that they're going to get well because God often chooses to heal miraculously and instantaneously. And I have seen God answer these prayers miraculously and instantaneously. The first time I experienced it was as a teenager. I was ill. I had just been so sick that they finally took me to the doctor and they put me on antibiotics but the antibiotics had not kicked in yet. I was sick. I had horrible bronchial congestion, terrible sore throat, swollen glands that were palpable and painful to the touch. My sinuses were so blocked I could not breathe through my nose at all. I was utterly miserable, and I was running a fever. But I decided to go to Bible study and share it. <laughs> no, I just, I, I went to that Bible study on a regular basis, and um, it was in the home of a, a, mission, a former missionary who was back in the States at that point. And, um, and I had been going there on a regular basis, and I had seen God do some amazing things in answer to prayer. And so I went down there, and when after our time of worship together, he said, is there anyone here uh, who would like uh, prayer? And this person said, yes, I'd like you to pray about this. And he said, okay, and he prayed about that. And, you know, another person requested prayer for something, and he 
prayed about that. And another person requested prayer about something, and he prayed about that. And he got around to my side of the room, and I said, um, yes, I'm really sick. I'd appreciate it if you'd pray for me to be healed. He jumped out of his chair, came over, put his hands on my head, and I felt as if somebody had just hooked me up to a car battery. Okay? I mean, it was what the Pentecostals call sweet electricity. Okay? Now, I had had a couple of experiences with shocking contact with batteries before. Um, one was uh, when I went to turn off a riding lawnmower one time, and, uh, and I, I didn't do it right, and I got the current uh, in me. And, uh, and that was a, a painful and unforgettable experience. It didn't kill me, obviously, or I wouldn't be here now. But it, it really, it, it, it was like, I don't ever want to do that again. I'm going to be much more careful. Well, I was pretty careful with riding lawnmowers from that point on, but I did get a mini bike. I bought Franklin Graham's mini bike when he got his first motorcycle. Okay? So I'm putting around Montreat, just having a ball, feeling, you know, like one of heaven's angels. And, uh, and I'm, I'm riding this mini bike everywhere. And, and as I rode it one day, the, the way you turn the engine off was the spark plug, was, it was a one cylinder, you know. Um, but it, it, it had a spark plug right on top of the engine, sticking straight up like this. Um, and, and it had a little bent piece of metal that sat over the top of the spark plug. And so when you wanted to ground it to shut it down, you just push that metal down onto the spark plug, that would ground it, and the engine would shut off. And so I was used to doing this. I had done it so many times that I could do it without looking. Well, on one particular day as I'm riding along, That little piece of metal, that bent piece of metal, had vibrated around like this so that it was no longer over the spark plug. And I didn't look down. I just reached down and put my thumb on that thing, and it jolted me off the mini bike. Okay? The mini bike kept rolling. I went airborne for several inches and then came down hard on the pavement with the minibike going off that way. Fortunately, no one saw this, except for an elderly lady who was across the street and doubled over in laughter. <laughs> no sympathy from this woman. It wasn't, you know, honey, are you all right? It was, <laughs> I made her day. I probably extended her life 10 years. <laughs> laughter, laughter is good like a medicine. Well, let me tell you something. When that guy put his hands on me, it was every bit as powerful as those jolts from batteries. I would say it was more powerful, but this time, it was, it was wonderful. It was, it was amazing. Took my breath away. But suddenly, I could breathe. My sinuses were totally clear. My throat was no longer sore. My glands were no longer swollen or painful. My chest was completely clear. I was utterly 
healed. I had no fever. I was miraculously, instantaneously healed by the power of God. And I said to Adger later, Adger was the guy who put his hands on me, I said, you just stayed where you were and prayed for those other people. Why did you jump up and lay hands on me? He said, because the Lord told me to. You do it in the name of the Lord. You do what you've been instructed to do by him. You pray in accordance with his will. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we desire of him. That's God's promise. So, more about that in a moment. But I want you to see that the context of this healing prayer is in a community of faith. It says he should call the elders of the church to pray over him. The church is the assembly, the gathering, the community of God's people who are covenanted not only with the Lord, but with one another. They're in relationship. It's not a situation where you simply go and visit and watch and enjoy and consume the way that most churchianity in America is today. People like the music here, but they like the preaching there. And, you know, I don't know, we kind of go back and forth. We really haven't settled anywhere. We'll settle. Because you need to be in relationship. You need to be tied in with others. You should call for the elders of the church. They're recognized elders in the church. And they're your elders. They're people you look to. Qualifications for elders. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. And check out this description of that relationship in Hebrews chapter 13, Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Ooh, Pastor Wood, that sounds awfully cultish. Are you saying that if somebody's an elder, we're just supposed to do whatever they say? No, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So if they try and tell you something that is unbiblical, <laughs> not only should you not do what they say, but if that's a pattern, you need to find a different church and different elders. But you need to be in relationship with other believers, including with other leaders in the flock in whom you have confidence that they are saying what God says and that they are practicing what they preach, and that the glory is not directed at them, it is directed to the Lord. Get plugged in with a group of believers who really love Jesus, believe his word, and want to reach other people in love. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It doesn't all have to be the same local gathering. But you see, I have more in common with some people who are in other denominations and have some little differences theologically from me than I do with some people who would 
share my theology in terms of points of doctrine and be part of the same organization, but who are, let's just say, not manifesting in a way that I can recognize it, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because it's by their fruit that you're going to know them. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Those are the kinds of qualities we're supposed to be looking for. And I know some people who are absolutely dynamic communicators and their personal life is in shambles. Because they're gifted, but they're not holy. They're not loving their spouse. They're not loving their kids. They're not loving their employees. Pastor of a mega church in Atlanta back in the 1980s took his minister of music out to lunch and then for a walk in the park and said to him, Look, you know, I just want you to know we really care about you, we really love you, and, uh, but, but I've decided I want to bring in someone else's minister of music, so we're going to have to let you go. Well, that happens sometimes, sometimes for good reason. But this megachurch pastor made the mistake of asking his music minister, do you have any questions? And the guy said, yes, just one. What's my wife's name? He'd been there for several years. The pastor had no idea. That kind of undermines that thing about we love you and care about you, doesn't it? So you want to look for folks as elders who manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because no matter what their gifts are, if the fruit is not there, that's not somebody you want to follow. You want to follow people as they follow Christ. So, the context of this prayer for healing is a community of faith with recognized elders and the confession of sins. Do I have to confess my sins to other people in order to be forgiven? No, actually you don't. Would you like to get healed? <laughs> yeah. Well, it says here, therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Well, that would be embarrassing. Yeah, but you're supposed to confess your sins to each other. I'll, I'll tell you mine if you'll tell me yours. No, that's not exactly it. But the idea is you're living in community. You're not boasting about your sin. You're not excusing your sin. You're saying, hey, I, I'm struggling with this. This is something where I seem to keep getting tripped up. Would you pray for me and help hold me accountable? That's what Christian community looks like. It's not a place where we all pretend to have arrived. Okay? How are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? Great, great. Isn't it great to be great? No. We need to be honest with each other. And that includes confessing our sins to one another and praying for each other. 
that we may be healed. And then it says the prayer of faith. What does that look like? I'm so glad you asked. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. You see, we sometimes make these heroes of the Bible, you know, superhuman. They weren't. They were sinners. They were all flawed. They had strengths. They had weaknesses. God used them in powerful ways of his choosing. He gifted them according to his plan. But they were still human. I love the fact that the scriptures are so clear about the fact that the only one who is perfect is God. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Was Jesus claiming that he wasn't good? No. But was he saying he wasn't God? No, he was saying he was God. But this guy didn't get that. This guy thought Jesus was good and that he was good. And so Jesus said, well, you know the law. Oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've kept the law ever since I was a kid. Jesus could have totally given him a list of areas where he'd done wrong. But instead, he picked one thing. He said, okay, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then you'll have great reward in heaven. Come back and follow me after that. What was he doing? He was pointing to an idol in that man's life. You cannot serve God and money. And if God tells you that you need to give it all away, you know what you need to do? Give it all away. Yeah, but then I'd have to depend completely on God. Yeah, that would be awful, wouldn't it? Just do what he says. Just do what he says. Well, do you, do you really think that he would ever tell somebody today to do that? I just hope it's not me. But bottom line is, whatever he says you want to do, I, I will tell you that when you obey God, you're making the smartest decision in your life. That's the smartest thing you could possibly do is do whatever God says, even if it's scary, even if it's hard. So Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly, fervently, that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three years. Then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. Wow, after three and a half years of drought, now we've got rain. What was Elijah basing that on? Well, if you go back and you look in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, what you find is that Elijah's prayers were based on what God told him. God said, do this. Elijah prayed. God answered his prayer. Because he was praying in accordance with the Lord's instruction. And of course, the climactic scene there on the mountain in the showdown with the prophets of Baal. Elijah did some pretty 
crazy looking stuff. Okay? When it was time to have a fire on the altar, he had them pour water over the altar. And he kept having them pour more and more and more. And then look at what he says. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Let me read that last phrase one more time. And have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. His motive was that the people would know that the Lord is God. And he said, the only reason I did this stuff, I want them to know that the only reason I did this stuff is because you said so. If God said we're going to have a contest and we're going to have an altar here and an altar there and they're going to try and call down fire from Baal, who's not a god, and then you're going to call down fire from me and I'm going to answer with fire. But let's make sure they know there's no trickery involved. There's no hidden fire with some kindling inside the altar that's erected. You slipped it in there when nobody was looking. Let's, let's douse it with water. Lots and lots and lots and lots of water. And so he prayed. And he said, Lord, the only reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because you said so. I've been in more than a few situations in my life where God asked me to do stuff that everybody else seemed to think was nuts. And it sure looked that way to me too. But I had a choice. I could look what, I could do what looked smart or I could do what I believed God was saying. Every time I've obeyed God, I've been so grateful. Because God always keeps his word. So, Pastor, I just, again, want to go back and revisit the one question that I asked and you really didn't answer completely, and that is, if we meet this, these conditions, does God always heal that person instantaneously? No. No. That's an honest question, and I'm giving you an honest answer that is not only my experience, because my experience could be flawed, but it is Scripture. You look in the Scriptures and you see where sometimes people longed for healing, prayed for healing, did everything that we would say they should do, and God chose not to heal that person at that time in that way. The guy who laid hands on me, and God healed me instantaneously when I was a teenager, in, in front of other witnesses, okay? That guy prayed for many people who were healed. But he came back from a missions trip in Africa, 
with two horrible diseases that he had picked up from insects over there, mosquitoes. One was malaria, the other was something else, I don't remember. And he just believed that he was to trust God for healing. He was in his 40s. He had a wife and three kids. He died on Easter Sunday. He died despite the prayers of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Why? I don't know. But I trust God. And in a very real way, it was beautiful that he died on Easter Sunday. Because it was a reminder to all of us that death doesn't have the final word. Remember Lazarus? He wanted Jesus to come pray for him. His sisters wanted Jesus to come pray for him. When Jesus heard that, Jesus didn't go. Until after he was dead. And when he got there, his sisters said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both said the same thing to Jesus separately from one another. Because that was what was in everybody's heart and mind. Jesus could have prevented this. And he didn't. He let Lazarus die. But you see, it was in order that Jesus might demonstrate who he is and his mighty power. And he raised Lazarus back to life. Isn't that fabulous? God knew what he was up to. And so now Lazarus came back to life. And this Sunday, Lazarus is going to speak at our church. Normally I preach on Sunday. But, but we're going to have Lazarus come and, and speak on Sunday. Some of you might want to attend. He's a remarkable guy and what a testimony. Okay? He's, he's old now. But, but, I mean, it's just amazing. He still is very powerful when he gets in the pulpit. You think? Of course not. You know what happened to Lazarus some years after he uh, was brought back to life? He had to die all over again. You know why? Because physical healing is not the ultimate goal. I was sick as a teenager. I wanted prayer. God answered prayer. I was miraculously healed. I will never forget that. I hope. But you know what? Now I'm old. Now I got all kinds of things going wrong with my body. Well, I mean, not compared to some people. All of us are living in a tent that is wearing out. And when this earthly tent is destroyed, God has prepared something better for us in glory. Hallelujah. The problems I have with my body are temporary. And the problems you have with your body are temporary. And when you and I see each other in heaven, we're going to be absolutely glorious, shining like the sun. C.S. Lewis says if you saw what you're going to look like then, you not only wouldn't recognize yourself, you'd fall down and want to worship, which would be a mistake. Because only God is worthy of worship. But we're going to look like him. That's what we're told in 1 John. When we see him face to face, 
we're going to be like him. Wow. How do, I, how do I make that happen? Have you got some polish? No, it's all grace. It is his work. He is working out from the inside out. He's going to make us like Jesus. And we're going to be like him one day. Hallelujah. So, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Christians sometimes do wrong. Not only should we confess our sins to one another, but, and pray for one another, but if you see somebody who's getting off track, you should seek to bring them back. Don't just point, don't gossip. Go to them and try to restore them. Seek to bring them back. Humbly telling them, hey, I'm concerned for you. That's called loving one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace. We have no hope but you, and you are more than enough. Help us, we pray, to trust and obey, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.